and welcome to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for September 10th, 2015. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Curious Explorers. Not because it's not a great game. Uh, so far, it looks like it is, but it's in early access. It has been forever. As near as I can tell, it will be in early access forever. I, I wish they would finish that darn thing. Um, sorry to subject you to a Disney show tune. You don't often hear that at the opening of a Quarter to Three podcast, uh, for good reason. But uh, it's appropriate here because I've recently discovered a whole new world of exploration games with renowned explorers. International Society. That is its full name. Uh, uh, we are about to speak with, uh, and speaking of full names, here we go. I'm going to try this. I'm, I'm just going to plow through it. Apologies in advance to the gentleman who has this name, to his entire country, Holland. Uh, but we are about to speak to someone whose name is, as I understand it, Manuel Kersemachers. Don't know if I got that right, but I, I hope I at least said it with confidence. Uh, Manuel is a developer from Abbey Games. They are the folks who made Renowned Explorers, uh, which I recently discovered. If you've seen the front page of Quarter to Three lately, you might notice a very positive review of that game, which I loved. Uh, I was delighted at how different it was. One of the things uh, that sets apart Renowned Explorers is that you can't jump into it and think, hey, I've, I've played XCOM, I've, I've played Massive Chalice, I've I've played plenty of tactical combat games. I'm just going to play this. I know what I'm doing. I mean, you can do that. And, and you know what? Probably, like I did, you will do that. And you'll read the tooltips as you go and maybe pay attention to the tutorial. And and at a certain point, you'll think, okay, maybe this is a little different. But still, I beat Massive Chalice. I've played a lot of XCOM. I know what I'm doing. And then you'll get to a point where Renowned Explorers completely falls apart and you lose egregiously. At which point, one of two things will happen. You will think, I don't like this game. I don't want to play this anymore. Shut up, game. You'll you'll shut it down, and you'll you'll go play more XCOM or whatever. You'll 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 resort to something that it is familiar. Or hopefully, and this is what happened to me, you will think, Hey, this this is a little different. This is this is a little unique. I want to learn this, and you will go back and you and you will try to learn it. Uh, and if that's the case, I think you'll find a very rewarding game. But you will also find uh, that. This is a kind of game that is, is is really challenging to learn because it looks so familiar up front, but it's going to do some things very differently. Um, and Abbey Games' previous game, Reus, works the same way. Like, you, you can jump into Reus and you can think, hey, I've played Black and White, I've played Populous, I know God games, I'm fine, I can figure this out, I got it. And then you'll get partway through Reyes, and, and you'll realize, whoa, 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 I don't have this. This is completely different. There's some really unique stuff going on here. I have no idea what I'm doing. I better figure it out, or I'm going to lose egregiously. Uh, at which point, you will do one of those two things. You will shut it down and think, I don't want to play this anymore. Or you will sit down, and you'll try to learn it, and it'll be th- thrilling if you're like me, and if you like discovering new systems and, and new interactions. Uh, so the, the challenge that Abbey Games faces... With both Renowned Explorers and with Reus, by the way, which came out a, a couple of years ago, is how do you teach a player when you are releasing a game in in a, a familiar genre? How do you teach a player, hey, we're not doing this the way that that other games in this genre do things? 
we're, we're going to show you something different. We're going to create something different, something that you, you're going to need to learn. There are just three ways you can do this. The old-fashioned way, the way it used to be. Man, pull up a chair, kids. Let me, let me tell you what it used to be like when I was your age. Uh, we would read a manual. Yeah, it was a book. It came in, like, hard copy. It was in print, which was awesome. You could read it, like, on the bus or when you were going to sleep at night. Uh, they, it, you could carry it around with you, like like an iPad. Uh, and, and you would read this manual. You would have it open beside you on the desk while you were playing the game. And you would turn to the page to look up the things you needed, and it would have references in the back and kind of cool stuff like that. Well, needless to say, nobody does that anymore. One of the first things I'll do with a new game is I will right-click the name on Steam, and I will see if there's that entry for View Manual. Nine times out of ten, there's no such thing. Uh, That's certainly the case with Renowned Explorers, and with Reus, you will not find a View Manual option on on those games' Steam entries. Uh, So the second thing that, that games can do these days, and that every game pretty much does do, I have not run into a game that doesn't do this in, I don't know, a very long time. Uh, but the more common approach is to offer a tutorial. You know, the game boots up and it says, "Hey, click here." And you know, this is a new game. Click here. Let me teach you how to play. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna talk you through the basics. Um, and for the most part, that works fine. The problem with a tutorial and where a manual has a big advantage, and where I feel that some games really do need manuals, uh, you can't go back to a tutorial if you you just want to look up something real quick. I mean, you can, but good lord, is that inconvenient. Uh, if I just want to know, for instance, how does this piece fit into the, the overall systems? What does this component do? Uh, a tutorial is a terrible way to convey that information. Uh, so to, to, to front-load a game with a tutorial, that's usually what happens. Uh, and generally, I don't know if you're like me, the pattern is you often will skip the tutorial and just jump into the game and get lost and have no idea what's going on and then finally concede, yeah, okay, let me let me play the tutorial. Uh, or, more commonly these days, the first time you play a game, the game knows you haven't played it before and it's going to hit you with tutorial uh, information whether you like it or not. Uh, the kind of mandatory tutorial. Uh, so both Renowned Explorers and Reus are great about this. They, they have very good sort of walkthroughs in your first game that, that try to teach you the uniqueness of this system. Uh, how is this going to be different from the other games that that this reminds you of, uh, but that it's not like? Uh, so, the third way, uh, and again, I think Reus and Renowned Explorers are very good with this, the third way to learn a game uh, is with tooltips. A paradox is a... Uh, I don't know about a pioneer, but uh, early on, their their early games, they were always really good about with Europa uh, Universalis, uh, having exhaustive tooltips that would just remind you, this is what this does. This is how it works. This is how it fits in the overall scheme of things. Uh, even with Paradox, you, you hold the, the mouse over a feature, there's the basic tutorial, and if you keep the mouse there, it pops out into a more exhaustive tutorial. Um... Recently, John Schaefer, who's developing uh, a game called At the Gates, one of his recent developer diaries, uh, John loves sitting down and making a YouTube video of him playing the game for like an hour and just talking about what he's doing, and these are fascinating. They're kind of like director's commentaries before the game is even out. Uh, but he's got some really cool ideas about how to make tutori- or, uh, tool tips more informative and more helpful. Um, 
how to make them uh, more dynamic. I, I invite you to look at the latest At The Gates uh, developer diary video for a fascinating take on tooltips. So, but one of the problems with tooltips, and here's kind of where I am these days. Uh, I Before I spoke with Manuel for this podcast, I booted up Reus again. Um, oh, and by the way, stick around for the interview because the way that you're actually supposed to pronounce the name Reus uh, will, will blow your mind. I loved hearing Manuel say it. it it's not Reus at all. It's something like... Uh, well, you know what? I've already butchered his name. Let me try to let me try to uh, recreate for you how you're supposed to say Reus. Reus is actually called Rus. Sorry, you kind of had to hear me cough up phlegm for that. That was terrible. That was very un- unflattering when I did it. Uh, Manuel will do it much better shortly, so stick around for that. But recently, I booted up Reus uh, and found myself completely lost again. And not completely lost, but but wondering. Uh, wait a minute. Why do I do this? How do I do that? What's going to make this trigger? How do I fire that off? Uh, and the tooltips would give me specific information about specific things, but they were, weren't very helpful at looking at the overall systems, the, the higher level view of the gameplay. So I guess if I want to get back into Reus, I need to play through the freaking tutorial again. I would much rather read a manual, but uh, those are out of favor these days. So at any rate, with Renowned Explorers, a game which I heartily recommend... Um, one of the great things about learning or relearning later down the road, renowned explorers, is that unlike Reus, it is built to be played in very short uh, bursts. Reus, as soon as you start a game, you choose, do I want this game to run for 30 minutes, for an hour, or for two hours? That's the allotted time you have to reach a certain number of achievements that unlock different aspects of the gameplay. Uh, so Reus is built to sort of last over the long haul, uh, and to be played in no fewer than 30 minutes at a time, which will probably be even longer than 30 minutes, considering you will pause Reus a fair bit. I guess you will, if you wanted to read over things or plan out stuff. Uh, Renowned Explorers, on the other hand, is one of these great short bursts of, of exciting content where cool stuff happens. Uh, the whole pattern in Renowned Explorers is I pick three party members, and I take those three members on five expeditions. And that's it. In each expedition, I would say you could do in 15 minutes tops, maybe. I guess it depends on how long you'd want to take with it. Uh, but once you learn the game, you go through the expeditions pretty quickly. Um, so one of the cool things with Renowned Explorers is when I boot it up, I do the tutorial. I don't have a manual to read, whatever. Uh, I've got the tooltips, though. Um, but when I boot it up, if I'm confronted with this, holy cats, what's going on? What's this new game? How do I learn it? You can just play it and learn it as you go. You can you can play it wrong. That's fine. You're just doing five expeditions. You're not setting yourself up for a half hour, an hour, or a two-hour haul like in Reus. Uh you're, you're just, these short bursts that you're playing, screw them up, you know, do them wrong, fail. Uh, it's how you learn. You know, the game is sort of built to if, to be, if you fail, these are the points you get, see if you can do better next time. Uh, it's a very replay, replayable game. Uh, oh, and then finally, one way to uh, help you with, with games, to help you learn these new systems, uh, in-game documentation. Uh Reus is, uh, gosh, I'm not sure I recall. Oh, Reus has a link to the wiki. 
And I, I ha- I'm ambivalent about that because wikis traditionally are made by, uh, players. They are not the developers. Uh, I, I kind of feel like you're relying on your players to document your game. You've done it wrong. And, and Reus, by the way, to be fair, that's not entirely what they're doing. There's plenty of documentation in the game. It's just if you want to call up like an in-game manual, you instead go to a wiki, I believe. Uh, Renowned Explorers, on the other hand, has a pretty thorough in-game manual where you can call up uh, information and uh, it's kind of like a civilopedia, you know. Uh, and you click on the topic you want to know about and it tells you about that. So, so at any rate, uh, Renowned Explorers is a unique game. Uh, it can be challenging to learn, but for the most part, Abbey Games does a really good job of letting you learn how you want to learn, of giving you options for how best to learn the game. Uh, the entire way you play it makes it very conducive to trial and error, just experimenting to learn by doing. Um, so that said, let's now go talk to Manuel uh, about more specifics about the game, how they came up with it, and uh, what their plans for it are in the future. Manuel, you are uh, with Abbey Games there. You guys, um, tell me a bit about your history. My conception of you guys is there's maybe five or six of you in Holland, and you, like, sit around in, um, in an actual abbey, and you think up and create cool little games. How close am I? Uh, <laughs> not quite close, um, but I like the fancy there. Um, so Abbey Games is right now about uh, 14 people, mm-hmm. um, and we're inside an office that we call our abbey, but isn't exactly an abbey. Mm-hmm. Um, we are The Alphas are in the Netherlands, it's true, and we are uh, working very hard on games, but uh, we only created two games at this point, so we're not uh, m- making up a lot of them. Uh, should I tell you about the history of the Abbey? Yeah. So tell me how, uh, I know of you guys as, you, you just, for me, you came out of nowhere, you made this really cool god game called Reus, um, and unlike mm-hmm. normally a game like Reus comes out, and you can sort of trace back, oh, this is the guys that did game X, Y, or Z, this was your first game, so yeah, tell me how you came to that. Yeah, so, um, the founding team, uh, we call them the, uh, the Abbots, we're the four of us, and we started in university. So uh, this idea uh, was created, we wanted to uh, have a job as a game developer, um, but it's quite hard already to get a job in the game industry here in the Netherlands, so why not just build our own studio? That might be easier. Um, So the idea of the studio was actually there before the game, Um, but when I came in, like the founding team decided to like found the Abbey right after the project started. uh, we were working on a game to actually prove ourselves to the world, and that game was Reyes. Mm-hmm. So the team started out really small, like five, six uh, people, and it grew from there. But at the end of the project, which was May 2013, when uh, Reyes came out, or Reus, as we pronounced in Dutch, the um, team actually grew to like 16 people that uh, had worked on it. Uh, so that project cost us like two years, and it was basically a no-budget project. Everyone just uh, worked on it in good faith um, for a, a part of the money in the end, uh, and great success, of course. Um, and that was basically a, a really large bet that we uh, did. Um, we made a lot of, uh, we went through a lot of developments. Uh, during development, we got our own first office, we got our own second office, we learned a lot about how to manage our team, 
um, mostly because we were in uh, an office in the Dutch game garden. I don't know if that says anything to you. I don't. What is that? Uh, that's like an incubator, which is in Utrecht in the Netherlands, and it hosts uh, a lot of uh, small studios that have something to do with gaming. And most notably for us, there were uh, the studio called uh, Ronimo Games. Of course, right. right. Swords and yeah. Soldiers and Awesome Knights, yeah. Yeah, correct. And uh, Vlambeer, which is also quite famous uh, from Ridiculous Fishing and right now Nuclear Throne. Right, yes. Yeah. Um, so these studios were our neighbors and they actually uh, taught us a lot. They also told us a lot that we uh, might not make it with such an ambitious project as uh, Reyes was, uh, like a god game. The first project of these students is a god game. Uh, are you serious? Um, so that actually made us doubt about ourselves as well, like not, not specifically them, but a lot of people uttered their doubts towards us. Um, but at some point, we decided to be stubborn and uh, just go on with releasing that game. And when we eventually did, uh, we felt like we had proven to the world we can be a game studio. And from there on, we continued and started developing on a Renowned Explorers, our second project. Now, before we talk about Renowned Explorers, I want to ask you a couple of things about... Uh, so, first of all, tell me again how you say the name of the game in Dutch, because that was fascinating to me to hear that. I'm just used to saying Reus. Say it again in Dutch. Okay, so in Dutch it's Reus. Wow, that's that's a far more lovely name. I like that quite a bit, Manuel. <laughs> that's um, how we call it, yeah. So uh, one of the things that I really admire, and I'm not going to try the Dutch pronunciation. I'm going to continue to call it Reus if you don't mind. Sure. Um, but one of the things I really admire about Reus is uh, it's not afraid to get really complex and really intricate. Um, early on, it's easy enough to have these giants uh, uh, terraforming the planet and the, the people spring up, and cool things happen. Like, it's very accessible and welcoming when you first mm -hmm. jump in. Um, but I, I really admire that Reus, and, and fairly quickly, uh, gets really intricate um, and starts to be, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it starts to be kind of demanding. Um, yeah. It really expects the player to learn this system that you guys have created. Uh, and we'll touch on this in a moment, but Renowned Explorers does the same thing. Uh, is that something that you guys ever, I mean, I feel like in a way that's a hallmark of the games you guys want to make. Is, it is definitely a trademark, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're welcoming at first, very friendly graphics. Um, you could look at screenshots of Reus and Renowned Explorers and think, oh, this is some casual little ditty that my grandmother could play, that anybody could sit <laughs> down and play. Yeah. Um, but I feel that's a little deceptive. Like, like, that's just at first glance. When you actually play your games... There's a lot of meat there, a lot to really chew on and learn. Um, and, and I wonder, does this limit your audience? And if so, is that okay with you guys? Um, so this is definitely a conscious choice that we create our games um, to be quite uh, demanding, uh, as a way to put it, or at least that uh, really require you to think. Mm -hmm. uh, our um, intended audience are people that uh, like to think, that like strategy, uh, that like to use their heads over their hands. Um, and that's also um, uh, something that we had to realize during Reyes, uh, <laughs> Reus, um, because Reus was actually a lot of things. And um, at the start of putting videos out of the game, a lot of people responded really well to the giants. And uh, because we wanted to have nicely looking videos, 
we um, turned off the UI. We disabled the UI just to make sure that people could really see the giants and the things in nature and wouldn't be distracted. But later on, we realized that we were actually um, only selling the art style and the, like the general fantasy. So we started to put, uh, uh, showing the systems more as well because we uh, we didn't want to be uh, deceptive. We wanted to pe- people to realize, um, even though this is a nice uh, and uh, perhaps even casually looking game, you are going to uh, play this really intricate system. Um, so the reason that we still have this art style, uh, other than that we think it's really beautiful, is we want these games to be accessible. We think that we can grab um, a game... Uh, genre which is really favorite of people uh, like uh, the god game um, and turn it into something modern uh, the team here is really passionate about design so we take a look at a lot of other games think what is good what have we discovered since black and white um, in terms of design and how can we create a really unique game that has a rule set that's really interesting to play with and how can we um, make it accessible for people who wouldn't um, start buying a game that uh, has all these menus and all these um, complicated things. And that does mean that um, people get turned off. So some people uh, play those for a few hours and then they think, okay, I've destroyed uh, some cities, I've built some nice ecosystems, but now Mm -hmm. I have to actually put in a lot of effort to start learning it. this. I don't want that. Um, But it also means that there's a lot of people that get a a nice surprise or um, even exactly what they've wanted since black and white or uh, even before that uh, do you guys ever find that you have to walk back the complexity sort of pull back from the level of intricacy or were there i guess systems or levels of detail that didn't make it into race or renowned explorers uh, well, actually, quite early in uh, Reus as a project, we d- wanted to do full nature simulation, or full is rather ambitious, but we wanted to have like uh, rain and climate changes. Uh, we put that into the game, uh, actually, so it was a uh, quite advanced simulation. Uh, but the thing with that was that when you would change a small thing, for example, you would put up a mountain, it would stop the clouds and these clouds would stop raining on the other side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. This is a mechanic that is still in Rose, but it's not uh, quite as uh, simulated. Uh, and that uh, the, that everything stopped raining mean, or that the clouds stopped uh, forming meant that an entire ecosystem would uh, die out. And that was uh, a consequence of a choice that you would have made as a player, which was quite uh, untransparent, quite obscure. Um, and that's something that we took out late advanced simulation because we wanted players to interact with a gameplay system rather than um, with a system <laughs> that is really realistic but not necessarily as fun to interact with. So uh, there's still a concept of eco um, or terraforming, but it's a more uh, fun system to play with. Other than that, uh, we when we think we have a complex system, we do sometimes uh, tune it out tune down a bit we do definitely uh, remove parts of the game if we think they're too obtuse but it's also very often a feedback problem so there's a complicated system and people don't quite get it then we try to invest heavily in feedback and that's what we've done in renowned explorers quite uh, quite often we want players to uh, we want to help players to understand the systems rather than to take them out and i, I do so it, then let's talk about some of the uh 
the this this complex system that you have in renowned explorers um so i i wrote a review of it and uh one of my first thoughts on approaching the combat system or the encounter system in renowned explorers was yeah i've seen this before um it's just a reskinned paper rock scissors and much to my delight that's not at all what's happening in renowned explorers uh what you guys have done with what you call a, a Actually, I don't know if this is my term or if it occurs in the documentation, but there's a kind of a mood matrix um, where different attitudes come together to create a mood, which is kind of a global modifier to the battle. Um, and, and one of the problems I actually run into, Manuel, when I'm talking about renowned explorers is I find myself describing the system, and it's a, it's a very detailed system, and it's very cool, and I want to explain these things. But then I find that I've either talked or written for a long time just describing it when I kind of feel like I'd, I'd just as soon let players discover it. Um, so how would you guys express in a concise way what the encounter system is in Renowned Explorers? Uh, so um, I saw you used the word mood matrix. It isn't something we used. We started describing it as an as attitude-based gameplay, so we really want to approach it from uh, like a story, um, story perspective. Like, what is your character's attitude? How would I describe it? So, um, in Renowned Explorers, every conflict that you come across is um, solved through the personalities of your characters rather than through uh, a predetermined way of solving a conflict, namely aggression, combat. So you decide for yourself, uh, based on your crew's skills and personalities, how you are going to solve uh, this okay. conflict. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, and of course, you uh, also look at the the people you're, or the creatures that you're encountering. Like a lot of times I'll have a party that I want to have a certain approach, uh, and I'll have to tailor that to who I'm fighting against or who I've just encountered. Yeah, I read your story about the Abbas. That was actually uh, a really good story because that's exactly the type of thing we want uh, to happen in these games, that you feel uh, you're, you're being surprised by the system. Well, and I wonder too, Manuel, if part of something that, that you guys might get as feedback is a player might encounter the Abbas or, or, Abbas or, or one of, any of the bosses because there are at the end of... I guess it, it's, I don't know if at the end of many of the adventures, I don't know about all of them, but there's like a boss character. Um, yeah, all of them. Okay, and, and the bosses are kind of like, and I normally use this term in a negative light, I don't mean it here, but the bosses are kind of like puzzles. Like there's a specific, um, uh, like the abyss, the, the way the abyss will respond to aggression. Um, there's, there's something that the player has to learn, uh, to beat the boss. Um, and I wonder if a lot of times a player gets to that point and without realizing that they need to figure out the solution, they instead assume that it's a difficulty spike. That suddenly yeah. the game is super hard and they just need to get lucky with their damage rolls or whatever. And they think that they've been blindsided and you've played a cheap trick on them. Yeah, um, that's actually you're describing a really important uh, design issue that we have uh, have had in Renowned Explorers. Uh, it was actually the subject of our discussions often. Like, um, should combat be uh, more spread out so that every crew has uh, the same feeling of difficulty? Will people realize that this combat is actually a puzzle? Will people have mastered the game enough before they encounter this for the first or perhaps second time? Will players restart the game? Would, will they want to retry it? 
uh, how will they use saves, saves, saving and loading to solve this? So yeah, that, that was a really important discussion, but let me finish you your question. Well, I just feel like you've hit a sweet spot, like you've correctly uh, hit, because when I first encountered one of these, I was like, no, this is terrible, I, I've, I've lost terribly, I don't know what I did wrong. Um, and I think, if anything, what I did wrong, or what I didn't do, was I didn't quite appreciate the system that you've created. Like, you can get through renowned explorers to a certain amount without necessarily learning how it works, learning what you guys have created. But at a certain point, and many times that point is one of these boss encounters, uh, you can't make progress in renowned explorers until you appreciate you guys' combat system. Like, it's sort of like the bosses are there to say, hey, don't play any more renowned explorers until you really learn this system. Uh, they're almost like system cops. Like, they're saying, this mm -hmm. game, here's where we're going to stop you cold until you figure out what's going on. And when I first ran into that, I, I find that kind of uh, thrilling in a way. Because here I was playing this game and casually enjoying it, and then I hit this... It's not a brick wall. It's a. It's something I want to. It's it's a wall I want to climb, and I can see the top of the wall. I want to get up there, um, and, and I just feel like that's the point where some people might assume that they've been. That, that like I said, some people assume it's a difficulty spike, but that's not correct. It's where you have to learn the system if you want to get any farther. Uh, yeah, but then of course it is a difficulty spike because uh, it can be very difficult these boss fights. But it's the way you see them uh, as a player, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you may have noticed from the game, we try to stimulate people to start uh, playing the game over and over again. It's like even in the forward. Um, but we, from the start, we designed Renowned Explorers to be a game that you would play in again and again. That's mm -hmm. why we uh, created the character roster. That has been something we've been starting from the very start uh, and like fleshing out these characters uh, throughout development, while other things like the expedition system and the world map were still being iterated on. We just started working on character after character after character. Um, so we really, and we uh, ask people to just start over with a new crew as soon as they lose, rather than uh, the second option, which is retrying the battle, which we don't um, uh, encourage as much. Mm -hmm. Just learn it, uh, play it over and over, and by playing uh, it over and over, learning to know the systems better. And that's very much taken from games like uh, Civilization or like FTL, which is like a strategy roguelike, uh, you could say. It is. But Civilization as well also um, invites you to play again and again because of the theme and you don't necessarily understand the entire game the first playthrough even though uh, you have to learn really fast to play civilization in the first hour um, but that mastery was something that we wanted people we wanted to invite people to uh, figure out uh, after some playthroughs um, but we also noticed the problem that uh, during playtesting people would actually like you said um, complete large parts of the game without actually grasping these systems and that felt uh, like a real shame so we uh, struggled a lot with that do we let people continue playing without realizing what it is because they just uh, enjoy um, reading the stories making their choices having fun with their characters or do we actually challenge them to um, to uh, grasp the system even more and uh, what we mostly w wanted to encourage in the end is that people would restart at least once to realize that things would be very different with a different crew and a different uh, random seat. Um, 
And then we added in the two modes, like the obvious uh, like roguelike mode that uh, puts you in front of these challenges and says you cannot continue if you don't finish this. And uh, like a little bit more casual mode where you actually get to retry the encounter and learn more by trial and error if that's what you're used to. Do the two modes, because I confess I've only played the uh, <clears throat> the more roguelike mode. Um, yeah, adventure there, mode. Yeah. It, so yeah, it's adventure and discovery. Are those the names? Yeah, exactly. Um, are they are they different other than being allowed to save? Like, is discovery mode skewed to be more forgiving in any other way? No, the actually the only differences are that um, in discovery modes you get to save and load your game okay. whenever you want, and um, you get a restart button as um, if you lose, you can restart the encounter to try it again with a different random seed and maybe some more experience about what the opponent does. Mm -hmm. So it's meant to be more forgiving for people that want to play on. And what we will add in there is probably like a skip battle button, which was in there in the very first hour of uh, releasing the game, but it didn't didn't really work uh, quite well, so we took it out. But we want to uh, let players actually skip the difficulty spikes if they enable a sort of cheat mode uh, Sort of thing, and you have that with uh, Reus in a way as well, where you have certain options that enable what you call alt mode, um, mm. where where yeah. I think it turns off achievements and unlockables, but people can just skip, can basically make the game easier for themselves if they want. Yeah, exactly, because we uh, we understand that our games appeal to both people that want to have more like of a sandbox story mode uh, and people that are really challenged by the gameplay systems that we've designed. Now, here, uh, Manuel, is one of the things that... Uh, so I had some minor complaints about the game, but the, the, the main one, and what, what drives me the craziest, uh, is because I really like this system, I want to master it, and I want to know how I did each time I play, so mm-hmm. I very much care about my score. Um, of course, yeah. And, and one of the things, I'm sure you guys have heard this, is I really wish there was a persistent score list. But then here's what I'm wondering when you talk about the difference between discovery mode and uh, adventure mode, um, shouldn't there be like a score differential or a score multiplier for one or the other? Um, Like if I'm playing in discovery mode and I can just redo the encounters, uh, shouldn't my score be penalized? And maybe I'm just coming at it from... uh, Yeah, that actually makes a lot of... Well, it depends on how you want to compare them in the end. We could have like uh, different leaderboards, which I think Ah, would make uh, a lot of sense. Like you can compare yourself to other people that played adventure mode or other people that played discovery mode because we could say like, oh yeah, you get a minus thousand renown or you get your renown halved. But if someone finds an exploit in discovery mode uh, and will beat the adventure mode players, that would be... That would still be... um, uh, feel bad for the adventure mode players probably um right but as long as they're separate even like if they were separate that would be fair enough as well as long as you guys acknowledge that that could be an issue i'm fine with that yeah no sure and uh, we also because we are currently adding in uh, difficulty modes because we just found out that uh, large parts of the community think the game uh, might be a little bit easier and large or not large parts but uh, some people also think that the game could be even harder mm-hmm. so how are we going to balance for both those parties mm-hmm. and that's why we are going to add in difficulty modes uh, quite soon and we also want to uh, do something with the score for that and that might actually be just like a linear factor but we're, we're still experimenting sure sure um so let's let's talk a little bit about the characters because I think this is a lot mm. of the content and it, it derives a lot of the replayability 
Um, yeah, I'm glad you uh, you saw that because uh, a lot of people say, uh, I think like you mentioned in your review, like there are, aren't that many expeditions, but the characters are actually a really large part of the experience. And since there's 20 of which you only choose three. Yeah, and, and you know what this reminds me of in a way, I don't know if you guys uh, play this game, but uh, Diablo 3 is a game that has like a little campaign you play through, and I think there's five characters with it. And I hear a lot of people will play through with one character and say that they've beat the game and they've seen everything. But in Diablo 3, a lot of the content is each character's skill tree. Like the, the mm. world isn't just the content in Diablo 3. The character and the skill tree is the content. And there's something very similar going on for me with Renowned Explorers in that each character, and more important, importantly, the combinatorial dynamics. I don't know if I just invented a word, but the, the synergies hmm. between the characters. Um, like the emergent uh, gameplay. Exactly. Is emergent it, yeah. properties. Is it? Yeah, totally. Um, that's a lot of the content I want to explore. And one of my favorite parts of Renowned Explorers is once I've chosen a captain, deciding which two party members to bring along. You know, that, that's a thrilling moment. Like, okay, who am I going to combine here? What, what mix and match party am I going to create? Was it also something you experienced in the very first playthrough already? Uh, no, when I first played through, I just went by the recommendation. Because you guys do this thing where when I pick a captain, you recommend, I think, two other party members? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. So when I first played through and didn't know what I was doing, I just clicked. I was like, oh, she looks cool. I'll pick her. And then, oh, well, I'll read this. Oh, they recommend taking so-and-so. So I hunted around and found those two. Um, but now when I start out... You know, that that's a big deal because I sort of appreciate the system. I know that different characters have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, and I kind of appreciate you have an unlockable system where I have to unlock certain characters to be captains. But just one, aside from the captain, I can take anyone. Like, there's no limit. So there's this great combination of wanting to unlock certain characters but still having the option to play with and experience everyone. Kind of yeah, that was uh, like another uh, important design challenge because some people said, oh, we should make all of the characters unlockable, uh, like limit yep. only to, to the first five or something. And others said, no, we want them all unlocked. Um, but the main reason for us to keep them all unlocked at the start, or at least for crew member purposes, was to make sure that every, every person could actually select a crew that they would find fun or uh, be comfortable with. But that, of course, um, introduces uh analysis paralysis where you don't know what to pick just because there's so much choice and you have the feeling as a gamer that you have to pick a good one that's of course why we introduced the like the recommendation mm -hmm. well one of the things that that makes me think is that um I, it seems like you, you're almost tacitly admitting with that recommendation that it's possible to really screw yourself and, and choose a bad party like some parties are going to be good and some are going to be bad and actually i don't know if that's the case like I feel like I could take an all-combat party that would just be great in certain situations, terrible in other situations, so naturally I want to avoid certain situations and seek out uh, certain situations. Um, yeah, for, for a large part, that's correct. Uh, like Each party has their weaknesses and strengths, um, with the uh, probable exception of that it's quite hard to play a single-class party. You right. might actually feel that all the challenges in the, on the adventure wheel are really hard with a single-class party. Um, and the exception of low spirit teams. So every character has a different starting amount of spirit. Spirit is like uh, the health of a character, but mm -hmm. it also represents mental health. Um, 
if you choose three characters that are kind of squishy, it's you're going to have a hard time and you won't realize why that is happening. Uh, so that's a, the largest thing we want to protect players from. Other than that, there are minor um, and major actual um, differences in difficulty between crews, but we don't really mind. For example, in the community, people have already found out that uh, Anna is pretty strong as a captain. She's the scientist captain, which is unlocked from the start because of her captain perk. But it doesn't really matter because the community is also already assigning a value to um, w- win a different value to winning a game with Anna as captain or sure. without Anna as a captain. And in single player games uh, without like that competitive aspect, um, that's okay. You know, if players. Uh, adjust the game to their own difficulty as long as they start realizing that it's uh, present. Well, I think that that's a, a kind of a misconception, isn't it, about balancing and tuning, is that for a lot of people, this idea of balancing is that any choice should be equal to any other choice, uh, mm-hmm. that all groups should be equally powerful. Uh, and I think that specifically comes from a multiplayer matching mentality. But yeah, yeah you're like right, in single player, you guys can freely ignore that and allow these different imbalances to come out, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's what we realized with uh, Reyes as well. Um, with Reus, we put in a very dominant strategy accidentally at the start of the game, and that's something we got out. Like, people would go mass mackerel, and their entire planet would be an ocean with mackerel in that because ah. it was just very powerful. Yeah. So we took that out because it w- wasn't balanced for fun. But after that uh, change, there were some great strategies, but people would just play around and try everything, which uh, which is enough for a single-player game. Uh, do you guys then feel uh, about Anna the way you felt about Mackerel and Reus? I'm not sure yet. Okay. I'm not sure yet. What What is her captain perk that people like it so much? I confess I don't know which one Anna is. Well, it's also a really interesting uh, captain perk, which um, which you play with during the entire game. Uh, every time you write a paper, which is like the re- going through the research tree, mm-hmm. you um, upgrade your science uh, tokens or your study tokens with a random upgrade uh, that might also be an upgrade of your choice. So your study tokens will grow to actually give you also uh, some gold and also some status. And at the end, if you really optimize for study tokens your study tokens might actually go crazy and deliver a lot of resources all by themselves. Uh, and that just means you have a crazy, powerful economy. Right, because I've noticed, too, that it's possible to go through the game. Um, like, like there's this sense of when I'm playing, do I want to focus on research or do I want to focus on stature to unlock new tiers of buying things or do I want to focus on gold to buy loot? Um, I feel like the, the, the competing demands of all those systems... Uh, it's really compelling, uh, and I haven't yet pushed one system. So it sounds like Anna is great if you're just going to push for research, basically. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, what uh, is uh, – as, as the game has come out, like you're experiencing things like some players really think Anna is very powerful. Uh, what other kind of tuning elements have emerged now that the game is in the wild? Um, so for one um, the exp- or the campaign length, people uh, tend to feel they want to play for longer. Mm. So, um, so the feeling is uh, I've been having a story with my crew, having an adventure, and I'm uh, making it quite powerful. I have this plan in my mind, and then they finish the fifth expedition and the game is over. 
So we're looking into ways to make the game length more adjustable. Mm-hmm. So that as a player, you can decide, I want to play for a little longer or a little shorter. Mm-hmm. But obviously, that's quite quite hard because it, the game is balanced for going on fi- uh, five expeditions. Uh, so that's one. Um, well, the difficulty that we talked about earlier is something uh, we might want to tune. Um, other than that, we're quite quite glad with the balance of the game. Tell, tell me about the perk system. So there's this idea when my characters, uh, that is, different characters have different, um, and I might be misusing the terms, you can correct me here. Uh, is it, It's a category of perks, and then as you learn new perks, they go in that category and level up that category? Yeah, so we call them perks and sub-perks, but in the game okay. I think they're always called like perks. Um, yeah, so uh, there are, I'm not even sure how many there are. I would say like... 10 to 12 perks and all of them have about six sub perks mm-hmm. um, and you can collect these throughout the game and it's quite hard to get an one perk entirely full with its sub perks does it uh, because, does it max out at six like is six the, the top level for for any perk or does it maybe go for most of them okay. like it depends on how many sub perks there are you can have double sub perks right. so when you have a survivalist she can have both cooking and tracking and hunting uh, but she can have like two huntings. So if you find, if you level someone up, if you develop a character to give her hunting and later on she gets an item that also gives her hunting, that's like a wasted sub perk. Right. But if you find a way to actually get all six of them, uh, and that's pretty hard, then you have a level six, um, perk on a character so and that will unlock uh like not specifically the sixth one but the more sub perks you have have the more options you will have uh throughout the game okay so this is what i'm wondering then manuel is uh the one of the things that i not struggled with but one, one of the difficult choices you have to make when you're playing this game is do you spread out yourself thin amongst multiple perks or do you focus on leveling one perk up really high uh and obviously, yeah. in any good game, both choices would be viable. I am currently of the school of thought, get as many different perks as I can. But it sounds like by doing that, I'm, I'm depriving myself of certain advanced choices in some encounters. Is that correct? Yeah, like not uh, in encounters, but in the like the story events. Oh, right. I'm sorry. In the, okay. Right, right. The little snippets of text where you make choices. The encounters are the tactical combat. But yeah, so yeah. like in certain multiple choice situations... I would get advanced choices if I were to focus on one perk. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure uh, which is best in terms of like uh, how much renown you can build up towards the end of the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, I tend to uh, specialize my characters, although I've tried a couple of games right now in which I uh, used an item called the cooking pot to actually diversify my perks as much as possible. by the way, real not, quick, I, I yeah. love how playful some of the items are in, in the game. And one of them is the cooking pot, which, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, only works if you have five or more supplies. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to have, like, full supplies, a good kitchen to make use of it. That's really that's really cute. I mean, that's just a really playful touch that I love that the cooking pot isn't just extra perks. You have to have food to put into it. I, I thought that was adorable. Yeah. yeah. No, well, I mean, we made this game so that you could tell a story afterwards, and the cooking pot is definitely an item that helps you tell stories about your crew. So yep. that's nice. Yep. Thanks. Uh, so I'm sorry I cut you off. So you were saying right now your current thinking is spread out the perks and the cooking pot in particular. You buy that. That's a great tool for spreading yeah. out your perks. Or and it just means that you will have a, uh, an okay chance at most events. Uh, but it also really depends on how you travel through these expeditions. So 
uh, one strategy I saw pop up on, uh, on the forums was uh, persons would try to uh, optimize for a certain type of challenge. So when you go through these expeditions, there are these scouting flags that tell you this is a culturalist challenge. Uh, and that might mean that you either need a, uh, an archaeologist or a diplomat uh, to solve that. You don't know which one, but you know that if you have both of them, you, you uh, have a really good chance of getting a good result from that challenge. Mm-hmm. So people would get the um, high levels in the perks that uh, are mentioned in one of these scouting flags. And they only visit that scouting flags. And I think that might be a really good strategy. Um, Of course, each expedition has a certain um, skew towards other types of challenges. So you can't only go for one type of challenge because it's just not on every expedition. Um, I think to actually experience the game in its fullest, you have to do both. You have to do runs where you explore entire areas with a high-level character, high per character and um, um, also try and play with like diversified characters. It's kind of the classic risk versus reward strategy. It's a more high risk strategy to and high reward strategy to focus on one perk. Whereas you get the lower reward, but less risk if you've spread your perks more widely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it will, I think it will go to uh, using high perks and having more control over where you go. Right. That probably is the professional strategy. And as far as, yeah, pushing your renown score in the end higher, it's definitely, I would imagine, have more payoff. Yeah. 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 Which is once, once again, one of the the reasons I really want a high score list is I want a record (laughs) of of my uh, payoff. Yeah. You're totally right. I mean, it's, it's, it makes so much sense if you want – this game is about about becoming famous, and as soon as you make it into the legend ranking, uh, you're popped out again next game. So that's a little uh, – I, I guess like um, a flaw of our uh, of our game right now, and it's something we are willing to address. But it, uh, it's not really easy to add in a high score system, especially not if we want to um, implement Steam sure. uh, leaderboards. Otherwise, it would be – Easy, and yeah. to be fair to you guys, Manuel, it, it looks like the, like the model for what you're doing is very much what was established a long time ago in Civilization, where you play Civilization, at the end of the game, you are ranked on a list of world leaders. Uh, and you guys do do that with your high score list. Like, uh, not high score list, but when I'm done, my renown positions me with a list of other explorers. So right. I get to see that, I just don't get to see it amongst all of the instances that I've played the game. Uh, yeah, which is what that, I want to do. Is I want to know I did better on my third game than I did on my fourth game, but this last game I played was the best one I've ever had. Um, yeah, we have uh, some vision on that because we want you to be able to recognize your game as well. So probably you would need like an image of your crew together with the renown, uh-huh. and possibly even even more than that, mm-hmm. so that you could actually identify. Oh yeah, that one game with Anna, uh, I I now even beat. Uh, my Anna game with Hatiz and uh, and Harry and Ivan, for yes, example. Yes, yes, exactly. That would be uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you guys are thinking that way. Uh, so also, uh, finally, to talk a bit more about your, your plans coming up, you guys have, have said uh, publicly that one of the things you want to offer are more adventures, um, or expeditions, I'm sorry. Um, and the expeditions are, uh, again, I mentioned this in my review, they feel very handcrafted. They're, they're distinct places. You mentioned that there are distinct kinds of challenges in each expedition. You're very upfront about that when you start an expedition. You know, it says these mm-hmm. are the kind of challenges. These are the kind of rewards you can expect. Um, each one has a distinct boss. They have epic encounters, unique enemies. Um, so obviously the expeditions are a lot of work. 
tell me about what your plans are going forward uh, with additional expeditions. Yeah, so um, you ha- had it right that we tried to have that handcrafted quality to many of them because a lot of uh, like procedurally ge- generated levels have the feeling that they're not very coherent. And coherency is one of the things that we went for with these expeditions. Uh, it does mean that it... Um, and I think the Hungarian fort, which is one of the level, uh, the rank two expeditions, is the best example of how we accomplished that. So you might remember running around in there um, and getting some notes about Boris the Claw and the Beast and um, the sunken church. And you don't really know what's going on, but it all seems connected. Um, that's like a quality standard that we want to get for other expeditions. But between writing the events, designing uh, the new enemies, getting the visuals right, it is a lot of work to create an adventure. Uh, then again, we feel that um, we should give like at least one more uh, expedition to uh, the community. And we're really excited about like creating another one. That's why we just started working on it without uh, uh, really waiting for um, is this even like a viable business strategy for a company? We just wanted to do it. Um, but then we'll have to reevaluate, like, can we continue working on these expeditions, which probably take like two, three, uh, sometimes even four weeks of work for at least three people. And if we want to make it something really cool more, um, can we, uh, like make a business model out of that? And that would mean like, would we have to charge for that? Would people want that? Would that be fun for the community? Or could we do it as a free patch? Would it give us enough um, extra traction to uh, get us back some sales? Or is it just that we want to get the game to a certain point where it's full of uh, expeditions and we can like do an expansion on that? We, we haven't figured that out yet. Right. We do realize that this game would be uh, twice as awesome or probably... <laughs> Four times is awesome if there would be twice the amount of expeditions in there. But uh, that's something we can definitely not promise right now. Well, just speaking as someone who's already a fan, so you don't have anything to lose with me. But I, I sort of feel like this is this is an, a natural candidate for uh, a paid DLC. Like the, the amount of work that clearly goes into an expedition, this is clearly the sort of thing that I think if a company were to create, they should be able to sell as a, as a paid add-on. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if that is part of your business consideration, I mean, I, I by all means, I, I think you, the, the amount of work that goes into them, you guys should sell that as DLC. I mean, I know you've already said you, you'll be doing an update for free, uh, but down the road, I hope you guys would consider that as part of a business model. Yeah. So, uh, the, also the free, uh, update is definitely a, like an experiment. We can see how people will react. Will this actually like reinvigorate uh, uh, the player experience. Uh, how many new games do people tend to play after, after getting that new expedition? And that will definitely guide us in the choice, uh, whether or not we want to do it as paid DLC or free anyway, anyway, or not at all. Um, and there's also like thoughts here uh, about expansions, like, uh, which would be new content plus, uh, new mechanics, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the way civilization, uh, went to in the end. Uh, like, I'm not sure. I haven't played too much Civilization, but it's... Well, they uh, added things like espionage and, and, and new systems for religion and new types of combat. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Just 
building new yeah, so systems. The, the design the team is very much inspired uh, by Civilization V, so I think I've heard them talk about uh, that sort of thing. And that w- that's really exciting for us as well. Uh, we've got tons of gameplay ideas uh, that are not in the game, like, for example, uh, enemies that move around on the like the expedition map. And oh, to, sure, sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, like to chase you or that you have to chase. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine a lot of opportunity for that, sure. Um, and the, uh, the the arenas, like the the, um, the conflicts, they have much more uh, that we could do, like different win uh, conditions where you have to like catch a monkey or maybe more tiles, uh, uh-huh. like the healing tile that we have right now. I mean, there's a lot to expand upon the game, and uh, if we can find a way with to go on with this, like both as a viable business strategy and a way that the community likes, then we're going to do that. Uh, I I have a quick question about the Hungarian fort. And you may yeah. not know the answer. Um, most of the time, as a matter of fact, almost all the time when I'm playing renowned explorers, when I make a choice, uh, it's clear like what the implications will be, why I'm making that choice, uh, my varying degrees of success for each choice. Uh, I seem to recall, and I, I'm only reminded of the Hungarian fort because you mentioned it, uh, during the Hungarian fort expedition, at one point someone asks another character in my party, do you believe in, in alchemy? Uh, like, do you believe in, in, and then the two options are to say, yes, it's real, or no, it's a bunch of hooey. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? And I'm not clear. Yeah, I'm, uh, that's the during the uh, the boss encounter. Yeah, why boss. am I being asked that, and what are the consequences, if any, of my answer? And more importantly, should I, like, is there something going on under the hood that you don't want me to know about, where there's a trick going on there? Uh like that that stands out for me as a question as a choice that I have and I don't know what the consequence is and I don't know yeah. if I'm supposed to I understand your feeling so um I haven't uh, crafted all these stories myself mm-hmm. I know about a lot of them because I'm right across the the designer desk and I have to implement a lot of features for them um but uh, in this case I can't answer you because I don't know. It might be like uh, an experiment in writing. Uh-huh. I know at some point we talked about uh, how about we let the player just make some um, like meaningless choices that are just there to reinforce their feeling about their own party. Okay. But I also know there there's like an, a lot of, uh, of gameplay values going on under the hood that, for example, trigger at certain choices and matter later on or uh, at least later on in the story and sometimes even later on during the expedition. Uh, so, and it could have like, a, it doesn't give you a buff, right? Yeah, it clearly doesn't. Like there's no tool tip that says this will give you this versus that will give you that. Yeah, Correct. so it's not, not like a direct gameplay value, yeah. but it, like I'm not sure. And uh, we definitely wanted to have like some mystery in the game. So there's probably a lot of um, things that lead to some uh, reward if you figure it out. Right. Like, I know there in the Caribbean you can find a map at some point, and I'm definitely sure it points to somewhere, but I haven't found out where it points yet. And I would feel bad looking into the code for that, so <laughs> I'll have to figure it out myself. Well, I'm perfectly but, fine yeah. with mystery. Like, I do love mystery. That's part of uh, the appeal of the game is figuring stuff out and finding little things like this and wondering, hmm, what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and as long as we can do it, uh, we also want to do, like, uh, very tiny updates where it's just like we will add in one or two stories at, uh, at some places oh, sure. and won't tell you where it is uh-huh. just so people uh, can keep that feeling of, hey, there's always more to explore and I don't know what I will encounter in this right. next mission. Yeah. 
Well, uh, for myself, and I've put plenty of time into it, and I'm still enjoying it, uh, I haven't even beat any of the final... And I'm guessing, like, I've un- unlocked Shangri-La a few times. Are there are there two final expeditions, or just Shangri-La? Uh, so currently, the only rank 5 one is Shangri-La. Okay. And, and I, I have not beat Shangri-La. And as a matter of fact, I'm not ashamed to admit this, Manuel, I haven't even set foot in Shangri-La, because I get to that point... And I'm like, no, I want to play it safe. I want this party to it's survive. It's crazily intimidating, and we somehow designed the high score uh, of Rivalo uh, with a flaw. Namely, you can quite easily beat it without going to Shangri-La, so you don't actually have to face him uh, over there. But I would presume if you beat Shangri-La, your score will be that much higher. Oh, yeah. yeah. Shangri-La is definitely the renowned monster. You can probably, like, double or even more your uh, renown right there. Oh, well, now I've got... Oh. Wow. Well, okay. If it's that, I guess. I mean, I know I'm going to have to go in there sooner or later. But the thing is, after doing the other four expeditions and surviving, I get so attached to my party, and I just yeah, don't want to throw them into a meat grinder yet. Yeah. Also, I I must admit I haven't beat Shangri-La myself. So <laughs> I've been streaming uh, the game uh, for a couple of nights after the release, and at some point I got into uh, Shangri-La as well. I mean, I've beat Shangri-La before the final balance of the game. Mm-hmm. But now, when I uh, I got there only once after the final balance, and I didn't get through it, I, I couldn't defeat the, the final encounter. Right. So don't feel bad. Okay, good. So I'm in good company. I feel yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Manuel, thank you so much for uh, talking to me about this today. I'm I'm just really tickled with what you guys have done. Uh, I wish you the the best of luck, and I encourage everyone listening. Um, check check this game out. It's 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 just a thrilling discovery, and I couldn't be happier with what you've done. Yeah, I'm so glad to talk to you as because you obviously played this game a lot and it's just fun uh, having a conversation like that. Uh, hopefully you've written in by now or posted in the comments section or, or tweeted to me or whatever uh, to correct me that the Curious Expedition is not in fact called the Curious Explorers, as I incorrectly said at the head of the podcast. Uh, it's very confusing to have so many really cool exploration-based games available at once. Uh, again, thank you also to Manuel for putting up with my various pronunciations of his name. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening. I know that the Quarter to Three Games podcast has been on a very erratic schedule lately. Uh, hopefully that will I will uh, fix that. Hopefully we will be back here next Thursday with a new podcast. If we aren't, if I don't have something posted next Thursday... Uh, hold me accountable to that. Bug me on Twitter, at, at QT3. Um, and I will hopefully see everyone here next week. I can show you the world Shining, shimmering, splendid Tell me, princess, now when did you last let your heart decide? I can open your eyes Take you wonder by wonder